You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. So we're in the middle of a series called History. It's his story. And, and we're looking at the story of, of God. We are discovering God's unique relationship with humanity through five significant aspects. The creation, the chosen, the Christ, the church, and the comeback. And the first week we looked at God the creator and his most prized creation, which he said was us. We are his most prized creation. The second week we looked at the chosen people of God, the Hebrews, and how through them God said the whole world would be blessed. Last week we focused on the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And, and we discovered that he is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. And, and today we're going to turn our attention to the significance of the church. And let me preface it with this. God is sovereign. I get it. But I'm not sure I would have done it this way had I been God. Because what happens when, when you turn your attention to what he ordained as the church, what happens is now it puts the ministry in the hands of the people. And I know me. I'm flawed. At times, I'm a mess. But yet, he counts me faithful. And he counts us faithful. And we are all part of God's plan as we become believers and we become a part of, of the church. And when I say the church, understand this. Every time I say the word church, I'm talking to, yes, the worldwide body of Christ. That is the church. But I'm also talking about this group of, of, of believers here that call Destiny Community Church home. Okay? Because we're part of the worldwide body of Christ. And so I am certainly talking about the church in general, but I'm also talking about us here in this church. I was born and raised in church. I really don't know any difference. Um, I have not experienced life outside of the fellowship of believers. My entire life has been spent this way. When they brought me home from the hospital, my home was a church parsonage. Some of you have no idea what that is. Thank your, your God in heaven that you have no idea what that is. Because a church parsonage is a residence that is owned by the church, reserved for the pastor to live in. And it was not always the nicest place to live. I, I remember many times we would move in and immediately have to replace carpet and, and paint walls, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and then there were other places that they provided very well for the pastor. And, and so I've experienced both sides of that. Growing up, my pastor, or my father, um, who was my pastor for my entire life, um, he, uh, he pastored four different churches, and I was there for all of them. Now, the, one of those churches he went back to after I was grown, married, and, and, but he went back to that church and spent his last years there before he retired. Now, obviously, I wasn't living there, but all four of the churches that my dad pastored, I grew up in. And in those churches, I met some of the sweetest people on the planet. I mean, just God-loving, God-fearing, nice people. People that, that you're proud to know. People that loved and they cared for one another. Some of those people are in Perry, Florida right now, and they've been affected by, by this hurricane. And just wonderful people of God. On the other hand, I also met some of the meanest people on the planet in church. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've got some church hurt. And, and we're going to deal with that later on in another series. We're going to deal with some church hurt. But, but understand, 
I, I get it. There's some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. I met inside the confines of the walls of the church. People that caused disunity and division. They sowed discord and they thrived on turmoil. I mean, they just, they loved to create problems. And from an early age, I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church. But here's the thing. I never fell out of love with the church. I've never been so hurt that I did not see the significance of the church and what God has called us to be within the church body. There's something special about the church. And you have to understand that this, this gets me. Because I want you to value the church the way God has laid it on my heart to value the church. Because when working together, the church gives us the greatest opportunity to make an even greater impact. And as you will see, the church is God's preferred vehicle to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And there's this verse that's so convicting. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You hear that? Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. If Jesus loved the church to death, the least that I can do is love her with my life. And I think as believers, we have to develop that, that heart and that mentality. It, it's, it's got to become part of who we are. Let, let, let's dive deeper because I want to show you in Scripture the, how, how this came about. And, and last week, I ended my sermon with a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Matthew chapter 16 is where I'm going to be reading from. And Jesus had this conversation with his disciples and this was just weeks before he would be arrested and crucified. And we know eventually, three days later, he would, he would um, be risen from the grave. But, but understand that, that this, this is an interesting conversation in an interesting place because it takes place in Caesarea Philippi, which is a very um, evil, evil place. And, and, and I don't have time to get into all the teaching of it. Some of you have heard me teach it before, and I'm, I'm not going to dive back into that today. But... but Caesarea Philippi was probably the last place on the planet that you and I would, would decide to start a church or at least announce the start of a church. It's, it's not the ideal situation. And so Jesus takes his disciples, as far as we know, it's the only time they ever visited that region, weeks before he's crucified. And in this conversation, Peter, who often would, would speak before he thought, he always stuck his foot in his mouth. But this time... Peter gets it right. There, there's something that clicks in his mind during this conversation. And so Jesus asks them this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And, and they start answering. And, they, and they're like, some say, you know, you're, you're a prophet. And, and, and the list of names, it's flattering. I mean, these are great Old Testament saints. And, and they said, well, some even say that you're John the Baptist. And he was like, well, you know, obviously I'm not John the Baptist. And then Jesus asked them this question. Who do you say that I am? I'm not so much worried about who they say I am, but you're my closest followers. You're my closest friends. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds. He gets it right. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Now they get it. It's, it's like something clicked and they understand. They recognize the deity of Christ. And Jesus then introduces a concept that had not yet been spoken of before. And that's what I want us to look at today because this was a brand new term 
as it relates to Christianity. So Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. I know we read some of these last week, but we're going to repeat this um, and, and, and see where we come into play in all this, okay? Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first thing I want us to recognize here is the nickname that Jesus gave to Simon. He called him Peter. This was not a given name for him. This was a nickname that Jesus gave him when he met him. It's actually a Greek word called Petros. Petros, and what it means is a stone. He looked at this guy and he said, you remind me of a stone. Now, it's important for us to understand that, that word, the word Petros, it is singular. It, it means one single stone. That's it. Just one single stone. As the statement continues, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he says, you are Peter. You're a single stone. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, this is where I always mess people up, but I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? Some have argued that he was building his church upon one man named Peter. You are Peter. You are a stone, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Uh, maybe that's why they lay claim that Peter, St. Peter, was the, the first pope of the Catholic church, whatever. But the word that Jesus used for the word rock, upon this rock I will build my church, the word that he uses there. It, it, it mean, it, it's totally different than, than Petros, the word that he used to, to name Peter. It, it, it's totally different. This time he used the word Petra. And Petra means a large mass of connected rock. A large mass of connected rock. Two totally different words. It, this is the same root word that Jesus used when he told the parable of the wise man that built his house on the rock. It, it, was, it, it was a firm foundation. It was a large, connected, uh, rock, connected rock. In other words, Jesus was telling Peter, you are but one stone, but I'm going to build my church upon the mass of connected rock. This is where you and I come in. This is where he brings us into the fold. This is where he makes us part of the plan. It, it was like Jesus was saying, one man will not be able to accomplish what I want to do with my church. It's going to take a large group of solid people. How many of you in the room today want to be solid for the kingdom of God? Amen? If, if I'm not remembered for anything else, I want to be remembered for being solid for the kingdom of God. I can fail at many things in life, but don't let me fail at being solid for the kingdom of God. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly pastor. I want to be a godly friend. I want to know that when my time is done here on earth that I have been solid for the kingdom of God and Jesus said it's not going to be built on one person he said this thing is going to be built on a large group of solid people Peter would later reiterate this revelation as he wrote in first Peter 2 and 5 he says and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple you see we are part of that plan 
He has brought us together as the church. He has brought us together, and and, and we are being built into his spiritual temple. We, the church, are not made up of one, but of many stones. This is why. This is why the enemy fights unity in the church. Now listen, there's no problems here. Well, there wasn't until I made that announcement about the kids earlier. But, but other than that, there's no problems here. There's no disunity here. And, and that's what I love is that when I can teach moments like this, it becomes preventive maintenance instead of maintenance for the church. Because we don't have division here at DCC. I'm not saying we haven't had it, but we don't have it right now, okay? This is why the enemy fights unity in the church. Because if he can keep the stones from coming together to form the rock... He can keep the church from operating in the power of togetherness. And listen to me, church. There's power in togetherness. There's power in working in unity. Matthew 18 and 19, Jesus said, If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. You see, there's power in unity. When the church comes together in unity, it it, it moves heaven and it changes earth. And we've got to be willing to to put some of our differences aside. We've got to be willing to to look past some of of the mistakes. We've got to live life through through the eyes of grace and mercy and realize that we're all human. We all mess up. And and we've just got to learn to come together so that we can make a difference as God's called us to do together as stones brought together for the kingdom of God. Now, this is the first time in this conversation in Matthew 16 Where he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the first time that the word church is introduced into the Christian vocabulary. This is it. You you won't find it before then. And it was actually the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. And this was not a spiritual term. It could be, but it, it wasn't necessarily a spiritual term. Because an ekklesia was an assembly of people within a community. And they could have been meeting for social, political, or even religious purposes. The ecclesia. In Acts chapter 19, we read of, of, of this man named Demetrius that he incites an ecclesia to banish Paul and other believers from the city of, of Ephesus because they're hurting his business because he made idols. And, and when they came to town and they began to preach, people stopped buying his little idols that he was making. And so he forms an ecclesia, a group of people with authority and power to come together to banish Paul and the other believers from Ephesus. The roots of this word go all the way back to the classical Greek city of Athens, roughly between 550 and 350 BC. The ecclesia consisted of all the citizens of that particular city that, that retained their civil rights, because that was not the case for, for all of the citizens. But they somehow retained their their civil rights. And and they were called out. They were called out ones, called out of society. They were members of society, but they they were set aside. They were different. Just like we are part of this world, but we have been called out of this world to make a difference. And they were called out to make decisions that would affect their entire city or their state or their province. Their powers were almost unlimited. They had the power to elect and terminate magistrates. That was the power that these people had. They legislated city policy. They declared war, and they could call times of peace. They negotiated treaties and and arranged alliances with, with other kingdoms. 
These people possess the power. And when Jesus established his church standing in the most evil of places in Caesarea Philippi, staring at at a cave that's called the gates of hell, as he stood there in Caesarea Philippi teaching his disciples weeks before he, he would be crucified, he was also establishing the authority in which they would operate. Let's continue reading. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. These are powerful statements. He tells them, he says, I'm going to form an ecclesia, a a group of people that are called out of this world and I'm going to establish their authority. I'm going to give them the power. In other words, You're going to become part of something that is an unstoppable force that hell cannot conquer. I think, church, that it's time that we, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church of Jesus Christ, that we start operating like that once again. I think it's time, church, that that we begin understanding that when we come together, we are an unstoppable force through Christ Jesus that hell cannot conquer. I once heard Dr. Tony Evans speak about how America has um, 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 embassies all over the world. They have embassies. We, we have embassies all over the world. And an American embassy, it's, it's a little bit of America away from home. And, and if you know how it operates within the confines of, of an American embassy, the laws of the USA rule and reign. So you've just got to get inside the gates, inside the walls of that embassy. And and these sovereign territories, they do not belong to the country that they're in. They belong to the country that they are from. It's U.S. territory. So here's, here's a little advice. If you're ever in one of those countries and you find yourself in trouble in another country, you want to find an American embassy because once you enter the compound, the laws of America apply, not the laws of that country. Keep that in mind as you travel abroad. As God looked down upon humanity, he established an embassy called the church where heaven's laws apply. Don't miss it. When our daughter left for for college in 2016, she, uh, she had to make some decisions. Because obviously mom and dad were no longer there to guard, to protect and we were going to have to trust her and, and, and she could choose to continue to live by our standards away from home or, or, or not. And, and she, she had some decisions that she had to make. Because as long as she lived under our roof, mom and dad's laws applied. But the protection of mom and dad also applied. She chose, and I'm not going into details, but there was decision after decision, time and time again, that she would call her mom and, and have to make some tough decisions on people she was hanging with, places she was going, and, 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 and even, uh, listen, we didn't have to worry about where our daughter was at when she was in college. She was always contacting her mom and letting her mom know, I'm leaving here and I'm going there. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful things for parents. And th- the values that we taught her were on full display in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I didn't have to worry on whether or not she was going to be living under that rule and that reign. God uses the church to bring the values of the homeland into foreign territory. And the first thing that you have to realize is that this is not our home. Even though though we may not have experienced heaven yet, 
Even though we may not have experienced home yet, we've got this yearning inside of us that we're, we're already homesick. You see, some of the, the frustration that you feel living on this planet is simply because we are homesick for a place we've never been yet. We are not from here. We, we are from the confines of heaven. And, 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 and God uses the church to bring the values of heaven down to earth. However, it often seems as if the church is starting to represent the, the country it is in and not the country it's from. Oh, you don't want me to preach. I'm afraid sometimes we've got this backwards. Because we can't adapt to society's standards or lack of standards and expect to have the authority of the one who established us as the church. This is not hate. Understand, anyone and everyone is welcome to come to this church. But we love anyone and everyone too much to leave them that way. And we're going to help guide. We're going to help direct. We'll, we'll love them through the process. But there are standards in God's word. And the whole point of the church is to represent heaven in the course of human history. That, that's our job. That's what he's called us out to do. We are to represent heaven in the course of human history. Don't forget the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 and 10, Jesus said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. That, that's, that's part of our problem right now. We've, we've all got this, this selfish side of us that wants my will to be done. Not my will. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not society's will. Not the government's will. Not hereditary prejudices that are passed down from generation to generation that some of you don't even know you're battling. You see, God orchestrated the church, the ecclesia, to give the earth a little taste of heaven. Why? To populate the kingdom of heaven. That's the reason why. And the psalmist said it like this. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've got to give them a little taste of heaven. We've got to be so bold in our faith that we give them a little taste of heaven. That this is what heaven looks like. This is what heaven expects. This is what, this is what a blessed life under the authority of God. This is how it prospers. This is how it looks. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And church, we can't live under the authority of heaven and live by the standards of the world because one will always forfeit the other. You, you can't. All right, I know you're quiet because I'm preaching to some of you right now. <clears throat> some of you that were amen to me earlier, I saw your heads nodding with like, yeah, them getting up early and going to get their kids is a problem. You're quiet right now. Maybe that's why I don't want them to leave. Some of my best ameners in the room are the ones that, that are leaving. I need you here. Don't leave me here with these others. You cannot, you cannot live under the authority of heaven and live by the standards of the world. One will always forfeit the other. And I'm convinced that when the church is operating as it should, as ambassadors for the kingdom of God, we will not, we cannot be defeated. There is, there is not a devil in hell that can defeat the church when we are operating under the authority of heaven. Jesus is building the church. That's what he said. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is building the church. Hell is the one trying to do the stopping. They're trying to prevent the church from being built. But the modern day church has this backwards because it feels sometimes like, like hell is the one that's building and heaven is just trying to stop hell from moving forward. The scripture says that hell hath enlarged herself. 
That means somebody gave hell the authority to start building. And we've got to stop granting building permits for the gates of hell. We've got to stop. We've got to pull their permits and we've got to put an end to this church because hell does not have the authority to legislate unless the church cowers down and lets it. We've been given what Jesus said to to Peter that day. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you the keys to the, it's plural, keys to the kingdom. Why? Because hell is building gates and gates is plural also. And he's given us every key that we need to march right through that gate. There is not a standard that he can raise up against us that that the power and the anointing of God cannot destroy. But the church is cowering down and we're accepting society and accepting the limitations that are put on us when we need to be building. Let's revoke hell's building permits because hell doesn't get to dictate human sexuality. Heaven already did. Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hell doesn't get to define marriage because heaven already did. Jesus said in Mark 10, 7 and 9, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let me say this. Some of you got stuck with the man and and the wife in that, and Jesus did define it. Okay? But don't you miss out what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Not only do I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but I also believe it is forever. It is forever. I know there are some extenuating circumstances that you cannot control, and it happens from time to time. But, but when you don't have that right, when you don't, ha- and, and you're just tired of a marriage, let me tell you, you are setting an example for the world. Better yet, you've lost your voice to dictate what marriage should look like to the world because no longer do we put a priority on it. Because 50% of all marriages fail, 50% of all Christian marriages fail too. We're missing it. Oh, it's quiet in here. Hell doesn't get to determine when life begins. Heaven already did. Jeremiah 1 and 5, God says to the prophet, he says, I knew you before before I formed you in your mother's womb. Life has already begun. Hell is busy putting up gates to limit the jurisdiction of heaven on earth. And it's time that the church, the ecclesia, starts recognizing and and exercising our authority as ambassadors for Christ. Matthew 16 and 19, he says, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We are not operating under our own abilities and our own power. That's what you have to recognize. This isn't whatever power and ability you have. You might think, well, I don't have uh, the, the eloquent words that I need to. You don't need your eloquent words. What you need is the power of the Holy Spirit operating in you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Somebody say all. All things are under his authority. He has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Here it is, for the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. Everything is under his feet. He has control. He has dominion over it all for our benefit. And then he puts that power on us because we are the beneficiaries of the authority of Christ. Let me tell you what the church is not. Maybe I should have started with this, but, but just bear with me. The church is not a gas station. It's not just a place where you fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low. That's what some of you use it for. 
The church is not a concert or a movie theater. It's not a place where you go to be entertained for an hour in comfortable seats. And if you don't think those seats are comfortable, you should have spent 11 and a half years in a middle school with metal folding chairs. Get over it. (laughs) The church is not a drugstore where you fill up on medications to fix your pain. The church is not a spiritual YMCA, a one-stop shop that offers quality programs for the whole family. And I'm afraid sometimes that, that, that that's what we make the church. And listen, some of those things are beneficial. Thank God that I can come to church and get refilled. Thank God I can find relief from some of the pain that I feel in my life sometimes. And thank God for family programming for all ages. Thank God. But don't limit the church to that because the church is an embassy of heaven. It is a large mass of connected rock that cannot be stopped. And God is not looking for people who go to church. He's looking for people who are the church. And it's time that we as Christians stand up and become the church. We are the church. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. And he has given us authority. And he has given us power. Not because of our own doings. But because of his. He has established this authority and this power. And it's time that the church starts acting like it. So let's go take back our homes. Let's go take back our families. Let's go take back our marriages. Let's take back our schools. Let's take back our country. Oh, let's, let's get out of this thing, Tim. Let, come help me land this jet. When my son Caleb was, was a young kid, he was relatively quiet and shy. And some of you know Caleb now, and Caleb's pretty quick-witted, and he's, he's come out of his shell quite a bit. But when he was young, he, he wouldn't usually try new things when there was a crowd around. Um... He just didn't want the chance of, of being embarrassed. And that's why at such a young age when he began to excel at soccer, we were so proud of him. But Caleb, he would kick a goal. Five, six years old, I'd watch him kick a goal. And the whole team, coach, everyone, fans, all going nuts. And Caleb would just put his head down and walk back over to the bench. And there was one game when he was like five or six years old. I watched him. He scored five goals in one game and never celebrated one time. And, and, and so this shy kid, I mean, he just, one time when he was five years old, I was at the house, it was a Saturday, and I was at the house, and Mandy and the kids went walking, I think the, the kids were, I, I know Caleb was, was skating, and, and Kendall was probably doing the same, and there was a playground, the neighborhood we lived in in Tampa, there was a playground right around the corner from our house. And Caleb fell. And there was these older kids that were at the playground. They were too old to be on, on that equipment. One of them, he was probably 11, 12 years old. He started laughing and making fun of Caleb. The kid had just fell and scraped his knee. Remember now, Caleb was five years old. Mandy tried to say something to them. They didn't have any respect for Mandy. And so Mandy and the kids came home. And she walked in and Caleb's crying. Kendall was probably just mouthing off, talking like, you know, let me at him, you know. And Mandy looks at me and she says, there's some older kids down there. And Caleb fell and they started laughing at him. I said, I got this. 
I put my shoes on. I walked down the sidewalk, and I walked up, and those kids, they're all still right there on all the swings and slides and all that. They're just hanging out. They're not playing. They're just hanging out and talking. I walked over, and a couple of the kids sold the other kid out. They were like, they knew. They knew as soon as I walked up. They're like, so I, all I'm looking at, the kid that they pointed to, I knew that he was the, the culprit. I knew it was him. And I walked up. I said, what's your name? He reluctantly told me his first name. I said, that was my son that you laughed at. I said, you know, sometimes we have a hard time getting him to try new things. And he was really proud learning how to skate. <clears throat> but he fell and you messed that up. And I'm hoping <clears throat> that he'll try it again. But because you laughed, that's not a guarantee. I said, if I ever catch you at this playground again, I'm going to get your parents. And I said, and if your mom and dad don't care, then I'll get the law involved. And I looked at that kid right in his eyes. <clears throat> and I said, and you don't want me to come back here. Do you understand? He went. Mm -hmm. I said, now go. And they got on their bikes and they, they took off. I never saw those kids ever again. I think they moved. I think they taught their parents into moving. I, I never saw them in our neighborhood ever again. <clears throat> the point is this. Mandy and the kids made it home to the embassy. And the father took over. We are the church. The ecclesia. And when we operate as the church, people will want the power, the authority. They'll want the, the grace, the love. The, 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 they'll want it. And when they enter in to the embassy, the Father takes over. Because he has put everything under the feet of Jesus. He has authority over all. And he did it for the benefit of the church. Father, I love you and I thank you that you have established the authority to which we can stand upon. You are that firm foundation. You've called us out to be your church. God, I'm tired of the church cowering down. It's time that we begin operating <clears throat> and acting like we have the authority and power that has been granted to us. So God, help us to take a stand. Help us, Lord. God, for some of us, we just need spiritual courage. And it's simply because we haven't recognized your authority operating in and through the church. How good and pleasant it is, Lord, when we dwell together in unity because that's when we're the most powerful. So God, call your church forth. In these days, Lord, call your church forth. Call us out from among society. 
Not because we're better than, but because we've recognized what we're not without you. God, don't let us operate in hate. I know, Lord, we've got to love people into the kingdom. But Lord, at the same time, don't let us make excuses for sin that separates humanity from you. We are the church. We are called to draw people to you. There's a fine line, Lord, that we, we need. We need to know when to love and when to stand. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that you'll give us the knowledge and the wisdom that we need and know how to operate. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.